So I'm not sure if either of you were on for my last presentation a couple weeks ago, but I'm Richard Bechtel. I'm one of the staff attorneys here at Royal Legal. Um, and prior to working at Royal Legal, I worked in the areas of estate planning, uh, complex estate planning, um, estate administration involving both probate and trust administration. So with that said, a couple of weeks ago, I presented on kind of issues that unmarried couples run into when it comes to not having an estate plan. This week, I'm going to talk about um, some DIY estate plan kind of do's and don'ts, issues that I've run into, whether it's an estate that I'm working for with in court or a client coming into my office with an estate plan. Um, and DIY, I'm not just talking about like legal Zoom or some kind of software program, but I'm also talking about like things that you actually do that the attorney doesn't do, like updating beneficiaries, stuff like that. So this isn't all like just kind of us talking about the issues we run into with legal Zoom, but it's also things that you can do to proactively plan that don't necessarily involve an attorney and what you can do on that front. So um, with that being said, I'll just start by going over some of my errors that I've seen. So um, the first one is an improperly executed will. Um, this one, some of it has to do with like legal Zoom and those type of software programs, but I've also seen issues just in general when people get the documents and even if an attorney completes it, but they don't sign it in the office with an attorney present or anything. And they are kind of on their own and they don't get really a good explanation. So the way that I've seen improperly executed wills are, um, let me start by saying that wills have a lot of state specific formalities that people don't necessarily understand or realize. Um, I practice in the state of Ohio and the state of Tennessee, um, primarily in Ohio, though. And what I see issues with here in Ohio is that every will has to have two witnesses in the state of Ohio. And these two witnesses have to be disinterested witnesses. Um, what disinterested means is that they cannot have an interest in the estate at all. Most people think okay, I named my children as my beneficiaries in my will. Um, so I just can't have my children, but I can have my grandchildren. Um, in the state of Ohio, the grandchildren would still be considered interested if the will was written to where um, if something happened to the individual's children, then their grandchildren would be set to inherit. So that could still cause a will to, be, to not have the witness, the correct witness formalities. And I've actually had, I would say, the low double digits, but I've had probably close to a dozen wills um, that I've seen that have been thrown out for not having two disinterested witnesses. And when that happens, the judge throws the will out. Um, it's as if there was no will completed at all, and it goes off of whatever the state statute is. Now, in Ohio... There's also holographic wills, which holographic wills are handwritten wills. Um, 
there's a lot of states that allow it, but each state has kind of different formalities with it as well. For the state of Ohio, you can do a handwritten will, but it still has to meet the same formalities as a will that's done by an attorney. So you still have to have the two disinterested witnesses. Neither of those require a notary, but they do require those two disinterested witnesses. Um, another issue with the wills, if you do it DIY service on your own, don't involve an attorney, is I've actually seen a lot of situations as well where families argue when someone dies, it brings family members out of the woodwork. And one issue that you run into is if you did a will, say DIY, and you have your two witnesses, um, the individual that is arguing against the will can present in court and say that you were unduly influenced. That wasn't the decedent's actual wishes. And the difficult thing is if you go, if you have an attorney complete the will, um, then they can call that attorney in as a witness and say that you were like in your correct state of mind, you weren't unduly influenced. There was no outside influence. If you do it all on your own, it's just, he said, she said, you're, you're dead and gone. You don't have a real say in the matter. So it's just whoever's arguing against it and whoever's arguing for it. It's just them arguing in court. And a lot of times judges will end up invalidating the will just on that because they can't figure out if it was actually your wishes or if you were unduly influenced by um, another party, if you made like a change to your beneficiaries or your heirs, something along those lines. So that's another issue with the, the DIY service and or doing like a handwritten will is it can easily be argued against and as much as people sometimes don't like attorneys, attorneys make for pretty good witnesses because um, the judge was an attorney at one point in time and legal professionals kind of support legal professionals. So that definitely gives a little more standing to your arguments. Um, another probably more common issue that I see with DIY is with revocable living trust. So even if you don't do a DIY revocable living trust, I've worked for four different attorneys, um, law offices in the past doing this type of work. And one of the biggest issues you see with a re revocable living trust is that it's not properly funded. So what that means is the trust is complete, everyone signs it and everything, but you don't move any assets into the trust. Well, if you just have a trust that doesn't have any assets in, um, one thing that I've heard attorneys say, which I'll use here, is it's not really worth the paper it's printed on. Um, it's kind of like having a car with no gas in it. Um, it's good. It's, it's a good start. But until you properly fund it, it's pointless. It serves no purpose. So you could spend thousands of dollars on the front end having a revocable living trust done, which the firm that I worked at while I was in law school, the attorney did that a lot. So they charge you thousands of dollars. You complete the living trust. They don't help you move anything in or explain how to retitle assets. 
Well, then you, 20 years pass, you die. Your kids call like, all right, I know that they did a trust with you. My parents are passed away now. I'm looking to administer the trust. You start looking at the person's assets. Nothing was moved in. Nothing had a beneficiary designation made to the trust. None of that. So the parent spent, I don't know, maybe $5,000, $4,000 on a trust. And then in turn, the kids still have to probate every asset. So they still have to spend the 5 to 10% that the probate is just to have it moved into the trust. And then once it's in the trust, the kids might need assistance with getting it moved from the trust into their names, which could be another one to 2% if they can't do it themselves for trust administration. So you could look at 10 to almost 15% gone out of the estate and the three to four to $5,000 up front also gone that was just kind of wasted. So um, that's probably one of the costliest and biggest mistakes is people going in head and doing the right thing, getting a revocable living trust, but they don't go to the right firm or they try a DIY software program, something along those lines, and they don't get it properly funded. That is probably the biggest issue that I've run into. And I will say that working at some previous firms and doing this type of work, um, I would say probably close to 75 to 80% of attorneys when they help someone do a revocable living trust, they just give you either a letter that says, here's how you should change your assets, or they don't give you a letter at all. And they just give you the trust and say, now you need to fund the trust. And they don't answer any questions about it. They don't like give a detailed explanation. I think there's some disconnect because like as an attorney, it's, I think it's a fair, I mean, I wouldn't say it's an easy process, but for me, since I understand it, it's an easy process for someone who doesn't do this regularly and it's not their job. It's a daunting process. It's a scary process and it's a difficult process. And then if you don't go back and review your estate plan every couple to few years, like sit down with your attorney or even a different attorney, anyone, and review it, no one's going to realize that you didn't fund it properly. And you're just going to end up wasting, having wasted money, wasted time, um, and all of that. So that is a very big issue that I run into. So another issue that I run into for people with state planning, and this doesn't necessarily relate to a trust, but again, this is DIY because it's stuff you do on your end. The attorney doesn't do it for you. Updating beneficiary designations, transfer on death designations, payable on death designations, all of that. So most assets anymore, you can avoid probate with. There's not many assets that need to go through probate. Um, this can be done through a trust plan. This can also be done through beneficiary designations, but you have to be very careful and understand the process. So for like life insurance, you have primary beneficiaries, contingent beneficiaries. You wanna make sure that you have both of those filled out with your life insurance company. If you just have 
a primary, no contingent, say your spouse primary, no contingent beneficiary at all. You and your spouse are in an accident together. Your money has to go through probate. It's considered part of your estate, your life insurance. Um, say your spouse passes away before you and you're still alive. You forget to update it. You don't think about it. Um, you die, goes through probate, is considered part of your estate. Um, now, if you have yourself listed, I mean, your spouse listed as primary, your children listed as contingent, or say you have a trust, you listed as contingent, or you list the trust as primary, then something happens to your spouse, it just drops down to that contingent level. If you have your children or the trust there, you're good to go, even if you forgot to make any updates or even talk to the life insurance company after your spouse died. Um, if you have the trust as your primary, as long as the trust is in existence, you're fine. If you revoke your trust, then you would need to update it. But most people do not revoke their trust. Um, bank accounts, you can also have payable and death designations for bank accounts as well. You'd want to do the same thing. Again, if you may get someone, they die with you or they die before you and you don't have anyone else listed, you're, you're screwed on that front. It's going to have to go through probate. Investment accounts, you can do this with retirement accounts. Um, most people don't realize this, but most states allow you to do it with a vehicle. You can go to the title office, have a title transferable on death. Um, as long as you are the outright owner, you're not still paying on it and you have title to the vehicle. You can set it up to pass to someone in your family um, or friend, whoever you want the vehicle, charity, whoever you want the vehicle to go to. But you can set that up before something happens to you and make it transferable on death for the vehicle. And that's cars, RVs, boats, anything like that. You can typically set that up to do. Um, one, one of the issues with this and not using a trust that sometimes people run into, though, is say you make... I'm just going to say me, for example, say you make me the beneficiary of your bank accounts and everything. You don't have a trust. You die. You did not prepay for a funeral at all. Well, someone's going to have to pay for that funeral. And that funeral is going to, have to be paid for before the probate even starts. So the difficult part is someone's going to have to front the money to pay for your funeral which I've seen a lot of fighting within families on that, um, fighting about who's responsible for a funeral, um, fighting about how soon they're going to get reimbursed on the back end for the funeral. But someone's going to have to foot the bill. And funerals are not cheap. You're talking six, eight, ten grand, possibly more for a funeral. So if you haven't prepaid for a funeral, then someone's going to have to pay that bill and they're not going to have access to your bank account because um, a lot of financial institutions actually have an, like an employee or department that they pay that scour somehow they have like an algorithm they run where if they see that the person who's the account holder has passed away, they freeze that account. They freeze all funds. Nothing can go out of it. No one can go write a check. No one can run to the ATM and pull a bunch of money out. As soon as they know that that person passed away, they're freezing that account. Nothing can be done on it. If you're just the beneficiary of it, you have to wait till you get the death certificate before you can go and have the account switched over. 
So there's a maybe a four-week span there where you're going to have to bury that person, get them in the ground, get the funeral done, if you don't have access to the money that's in their bank account. So you can throw it on a credit card or something if you want, but you have to realize that someone is going to have to flip the bill when you're gone if you don't either prepay or have someone who's like attached to a bank account. Or another option is you can designate a like assign a life insurance policy over to pay for it. And then the light, the funeral home will just send you the excess of the life insurance. So that's another option as well. But I've seen a lot of issues that families run into. Now, if it's in like a revocable living trust and the bank account is set up as part of the trust, then the trustee already has access to that money. All they have to show is they're the successor trustee and they can go ahead and cut a check and everything. The bank doesn't freeze the bank account or anything like that. So that kind of just prevents that process from it being, uh, let's just say, kind of a nightmare when a family is already going through a very emotional and tough time. Now, I will say from personal experience that the three largest estates that I've ever probated had large life insurance policies that the beneficiary was not updated when a spouse passed away and ended up in probate. And those three, I think each one had close, one had over a million in life insurance, one had a million and one had close to a million. And the attorney fees on that were a decent chunk of money. I made a large amount of money just off of working one estate and it became public record. So everyone knew like that the children were getting a split of a million dollars between the three of them, stuff like that. So they knew that. So if there's any creditors or anything that were looking at suing the children, then they're right in there and they can see that the child definitely has some money in their personal name. Um, another issue is creditors when you're going through, when you have to probate. So if you can avoid probate, like your life insurance and everything set up to avoid probate, it doesn't open up the door for creditors after you're gone to file a claim against the estate and take a chunk of that money. It keeps it out of the probate process. Most states, um, creditors can make claims, but only against your estate. So only against what goes through the probate process. Because um, my the last firm I worked at, we dealt a lot with like Medicaid and stuff like that. So I dealt a lot with like trying to maneuver our way around when we're planning any like long-term care that Medicaid picked up or anything, kind of dealing with avoiding having to pay back the debts that were owed. Um, another issue for... Uh, for the DIY planners that are real estate investors in particular is that a lot of times generic forms, they just do not cover you guys in your particular situation, whether that be like I was talking about uh, being an unmarried couple, a blended family, families with unique situations like a child who's bad with money, any of that stuff comes up. If you're doing a DIY plan, you're probably just the child, all your children are getting equal amounts of money and they can just 
uh, spend it whenever they get it. Um, the blended families, you might not be protecting the interests of your children that were born before your marriage. Your spouse could end up with everything because of the kind of generic forms, or your spouse could have access to everything and just take everything and go. Um, and then unmarried couples, if you're not considered spouses, then the generic forms probably aren't covering you as just significant others. But another big issue for real estate investors is if you don't have some sort of structure, I'm talking about even like our LLCs, series LLCs, any of that. So if you're just holding like rental properties in your own name and they're in multiple states um, with no structure in place, no estate plan, anything, then when you pass away, you're probably going to end up having a nightmare for whoever is inheriting. What they're probably going to have to do most often is they're going to have to open an estate in the county that you passed away in. That'll be for your personal property. And then if your primary residence is there for that as well, then they're going to have to open an estate in every county that you had real estate. So every county that you had um, your real estate held in for your rental properties. They could have to open four, five, six, I mean, upwards of 10 different probates with upwards of 10 different attorneys and have to pay attorney's fees to each and every one of them based off of the value of the estate. So each attorney, your primary one, they could get five to 10% of your real estate in that county and your personal properties but then you're looking at say you have another attorney in another state they could get five to ten percent of the value of that house five to ten percent of the value of the next house for the next attorney and so on i've handled a handful of estates this way usually it's not it wasn't real estate investors previously that i would handle estates like this it was actually just say your parents pass away you inherit some farmland or something in another state with other family, then you pass away, but you guys never did anything with the other one. Then you're going to end up, if you own real estate in multiple locations, even if you're not full owner of it, you're still going to have to probate in the different locations, which can end up being a nightmare. Um, another issue that I've seen with DIY plans is um, the like financial power of attorney not meeting the formalities needed in that area. Um, the documents that are produced like with software programs online, they're very generic. Um, they try to basically be a blanket to cover as much as possible, but sometimes they miss certain things that are not included in there. Um, there's actually a lot of power of attorneys I dealt with at my previous job that were from other attorneys who did not cover the proper stuff. Um, and like I've said before, I think the financial power of attorney is the most important document for estate planning purposes. That's largely due to the fact that whenever someone needs to handle your financial affairs, it's likely you're in a situation where you cannot personally sign one anymore because you're not cognizant enough. You might be completely incapacitated. You might be dealing with dementia, Alzheimer's, um, something along those lines. 
um, which would in turn just cause a nightmare where your family's going to have to go to the probate court. They're going to have to ask for um, to be your guardian. That's going to cost money. That's going to be time consuming. Um, and it's just, it's not a fun process. Guardianships are not enjoyable. Um, I used to do them. I hated doing them. Um, it's a lot of prodding and prying and asking a lot of questions. Um, the person coming in has to have like a good credit score. They have to um, be a reliable, good person. The court will look at their background as well to try to see. Um, it just, it turns into a whole issue and a whole nightmare. Um, best case scenario is someone just needs to use your power of attorney because you're out of the country or something traveling. Then not as big of a deal because you can always sign a new one. You might have to go to like a consulate, pay whatever fee the attorney, I mean, the notary fee is there, but it's, it's manageable. But if you're incapacitated, you had a stroke, you have Alzheimer's, you have dementia, you have anything like that. It's you're not going to be able to sign one. Um, no attorney is going to want to help with that because they're opening themselves up to possible malpractice lawsuits. It's just it's a, a real headache and a real nightmare. And I've been in that situation quite a few times in this. Um, and then another issue that I've run into that is a lot less common um, is again, about the just the witnesses for any of this. It's going to be, um, if any of this ends up in court, that if you're doing it yourself, if you're not going to an attorney's office, you're not going to have strong witnesses um, to kind of have your back on whether or not someone was improperly influenced in some way, shape, or form when they were completing the documents. So those are a lot of the DIY issues that I've run into. Um, and like I said, they're not all related to an attorney. Probably the largest one is going to be that um, funding a trust as well as the updating beneficiaries. But those are two things that you can kind of, you're kind of in control of. And it's one of those where you should be able to talk to an attorney about it not be charged for the attorney's time and they should want to help you with the full and comprehensive part of estate planning. Even if you do like a DIY and complete the documents yourself, they should still, you should still have someone who can look it over and let you know if it's good or bad, what the issues are involved with it. Um, so that kind of wraps up what, I wanted to talk about with the DIY. So I'll open it up to any questions that anyone has. I'll check the chat, see if there's any questions in there as well.